Good morning and welcome. Good to have each one of you here. And we meet in the name of Christ and we lift up his name this morning. The title of the message I've given is Jesus, Our Perfection. Um, I've been recently challenged with listening to some sermons by David Gibbs, and he's a rather interesting speaker. He tells a story about something that happened to him. He was going to be traveling with one of his friends that he didn't know too well, but the friend purchased the tickets, and they were in the airport, and his friend said, oh, we, we're going to board last. And he says, why do we, we don't want to, by the way, where, where are these seats? Well, we're sitting in the very back of the plane. That's the seats we have to use. And he's not in the back. What are you thinking? We don't want to sit in the back, and we don't want to board last. There won't be any overheads in space. And the friend says, this is for the Lord, okay? So just be patient here. Okay, so... They wait until everybody else went on the airplane, and then they, it's their turn to board. And he starts unbuttoning his overshirt. And he's got a T-shirt underneath, and he pulls back the overshirt. And written across his T-shirt, it says in bold letters, I can tell you how to go to heaven when you die, not to hell. And he pulls this back, and he walks down the aisle for everybody to see, and they sit in the very back of the plane. People were pulling their phones out and taking pictures of this shirt, and um, before they took off, a stewardess came back and told him, don't you get off this plane without letting me talk to you first. And um, he says, okay, I'll I'll, I'll wait to talk to you. And, and after the seatbelt light went off, about seven people crowded around their seat back there, and he was able to share the gospel with them. And there was quite a number of them that found Christ for the first time, and that stewardess lady as well. I think that's a neat story. I just wanted to share that with you. Um, so I have to start out with another story here. So um, in 1978... A optics lens company called Perkin Elmer Corporation received a 2,000-pound glass disc, about 95 inches in diameter, and it was their job to grind it into a perfect mirror for the Hubble telescope. This project would be a project of a lifetime. It would bring them a lot of recognition and publicity and they were very excited about the project. Um, the grinding would need to be nearly perfect, um, down to one eight hundred thousandth of an inch. And that's not much. And to help you understand, if you would take a hair, we'll have to get somebody else's because I don't have very many, but if you would measure the thickness of it and divide it by 50, that's about the tolerance of which this grinding would have to be. That's nearly perfect. 
Um, they used a device called a null collector. They mounted it on the ceiling above the lens. It was um, about a $1.5 million device for science, scientists to use, and it uses laser to collect data from the surface of the lens that they were grinding on. And this thing was so sensitive that they could only do their measuring um, maybe between 2 and 4 in the morning when the traffic on the local interstate, the truck traffic, was not as much just because of the vibration that would jar this measuring device. And they also took speed bumps out of the parking lot because it would move the null collector. Um, so they had to roll this thing from the grinding room and back to the testing lab and back and forth and back and forth. And it took over three years, mixed up with interruptions and some hiccups and problems. It took three years until they signed off on this lens. Now, NASA, after quite a few delays, and the explosion of the Challenger space shuttle, um, the Hubble telescope was finally launched on April 24, 1990, on my wife Janelle's fifth birthday. Um, Discovery was launched carrying the satellite, the um, Hubble telescope, to space. And the guys at Perkin Elmer were cheering. They were very happy for the safe launch of this um, of all their work, and um, but not long after the launch, scientists made a terrible discovery. The Hubble telescope couldn't focus. Um, it was just about as bad of a picture as if they were looking at the stars from the ground through the atmosphere. Um, they tried adjusting everything they could adjust from Earth, and they it failed, and, and they, after much study, they realized that the main mirror that Perkin Elmer ground was ground wrong. It was, um, they called it spherical aberration. It was not the right shape. Um, the mirror finish was within tolerance as far as how smooth it was, but it was not the right shape. Um, Replacing the mirror would have been nearly impossible in space. They deemed that um, not possible. And it seemed like the $1.5 billion project was a failure. Um, meanwhile, the guys at Kirk and Elmer were feeling pretty depressed and um, pretty low. The glory had turned to shame, and the blame was landed on themselves. The cause for it not being ground correctly was the null collector device. Well, that was what was giving them wrong information. But backing up, when they were starting the project, they were so pushed that they um, had about two days to set it up and test the null collector, and they did some shimming that was not rec not advised in its manuals to make it be able to 
do what it was what they wanted it to do and anyway. So that was the flaw. The flaw of a couple guys um, affected thousands of workers and investors. Um, you know, I've heard that if you stretch a bathroom mirror out to the size of Texas, you would have six-foot waves. And if you would stretch the telescope mirror out to the size of Texas, you would have quarter-inch waves. That's almost perfect. But it's not perfect, is it? Um, you know, each of us are a little bit like a Hubble telescope mirror. And we must be ground to perfection. And each of us has a launch date set by God for when our time here is over. And the question I ask, will we be ready? Will we be ready? So we understand that nothing imperfect, nothing blemished can ever enter into glory, enter into the presence of God because he is a holy God. Um, but don't be dismal. I'll, the message has just started, okay? Um, perfection is demanded, though. Um, and God himself is the standard of perfection. In James 1.17, it says, Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of life with him with whom is no variation nor shadow of turning. There is no shadow of turning with God. God is perfect. God has always been the plumb line, if you will, through the ages. Um, his character has never changed. Kingdoms come and go, and different um, groups push their agendas way this way or way that way. But God's character, God's truth, never changes, never bends. Um, Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he is the standard by which we will be judged. That should make us pull up and think a little bit. A I don't know if you like perfect people. I don't really like perfect people. They make me feel a little uncomfortable. But Jesus is a perfect person that we need to draw near to because not only is he the answer, but he is also the one that will judge us. And, and we'll get into the answer portion of Jesus in a little bit. But first, we must build the case of how perfect and holy God is. Um, so... You know the Ten Commandments that God gave to Moses to the children of Israel. God did not just think up one day of ten good things that the children of Israel should probably do. And Moses, write these down. I've thought of this. And, and um, I think under your application, these would probably be good things. Now keep them. It was not that way. The Ten Commandments, God's law is a reflection of who he is and his character. So I'll just go through a couple of them. You can think with it, with me a little bit with it. 
But um, the commandment, thou shalt not kill, is because God, by his nature, is life. That's why he says, thou shalt not kill. So a commandment was born out of his character. And another one, you shall not commit adultery, because God, by his nature, is faithful. So another command out of his character. And you shall not steal, because God is just. And you shall not bear false witness, because God is truth. Honor your father and mother, because God is trinity. God embodies unified authority structure. Trinity is God. And, and the commandment, love your neighbor as yourself, is because God is love. In his character, he is love. So when you look at the Ten Commandments, they're almost like a minimum grade. What's the failing grade in school? 80% over here in school. If you make an 80, you're right on the line. 79, you failed at the take the test again or redo the book or I don't know. But the Ten Commandments were like, this is the least. This is, you've got to at least come up to this level. Um, you know, God's law, has, I believe he has written in the hearts of mankind almost like a shadow copy because Jesus used the law to, in his ministry to bring out, um, to wake up the soul to their need of God. And I believe that was the ministry of John the Baptist. He showed the people that they needed to repent. And, um, and so there seems like God has created in the DNA, in the hearts of people and humanity, a shadow copy of the law so that when truth shines on them, it reveals their being. And you, you see it um, in other countries where there isn't any teachings of the gospel and truth. They have understanding of what is proper. Um, so I'll, the, the scripture we will turn to is Matthew chapter 19. And we'll see how Jesus... Um, Use the holy standard of the law given by God to show this fellow his need of salvation. <clears throat> Matthew 19, I'll read verse 16 through 22. Now behold, one came and said to him, Good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may in turn inherit eternal life. So he said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. He said to him, Which ones? Jesus said, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness or tell lies. Honor your father and your mother. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, All these I have kept from my youth. What do I still lack? And Jesus said, 
If you want to be perfect, there's that word, perfect. Go, sell what you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Notice what Jesus does in verse um, 17. The man comes to him and says, good teacher. And Jesus jumps right on that in verse 17. He says, no one is good but one, that is God. And I, I wonder, why did he do that? Because Jesus is God. Jesus is God. He's the second part of the Trinity, God. Now, Jesus knew that this man did not necessarily believe or know that he was God. And yet, this man was calling him good. And so this is my understanding of why, why Jesus said, hold it right there, you called me good, there's only one good and he's God. I think the reason he did this is because this rich young ruler felt like he was a pretty good boy. And when, when I feel like I'm a good person, I, I, I greet my equals in the same way. You know, I, um, I feel like you're a good person and I'm a good person. We, we, we are on the same level here. And he was doing that with Jesus. And Jesus, knowing his heart, he pulled a prop right out from under him because when, he's, when, he, when we compare ourselves with each other, and we can kind of call each other good, but when we compare ourselves with God, we no longer have anything to call ourselves good about. We're not good in comparison to God. And so Jesus pulled that prop right out from under him right away and says, hold it. Let's look at who really is good, and then let's talk. Um, so dare to compare. We need to compare ourselves with God to get a true understanding of who we are. Um, God is the standard of goodness, and everything else shrivels in comparison. <clears throat> In our culture, there is a lot of, quote, good people. And I still call people good people. But we have to understand context, I guess. But in, in central Virginia, um, there's a lot of decent folks. And most of them believe in God and believe in being good to your neighbor to a certain extent. Um, but all mixed up in this good culture is a whole bunch of good old self-righteousness. And, there's a, and the self-righteousness is a deadly zone to just live in, to, to be blind in. There's a lot of, quote, good people that are not going to spend eternity in heaven with the Lord. It would be the opposite. And so Jesus is using the law here in this example to reveal that this good person maybe isn't as good as he thought he was and, and, and brings out these um, the scripture here, um, it holds him to the law. 
I want to flip over to um, Romans. You can hold your place there if you would like. Romans chapter 3. Verse 19 and 20. Romans 3.19, now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified or made perfect in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. Every mouth may be stopped. When we compare ourselves with ourselves, we can maybe feel good about ourselves. You can, you can look across the room and feel good about the way you look, probably. Or you could um, think of me and feel good about something else, probably, as well. Um, but when we compare ourselves to the law of God and His holiness, there's not much left we can pat ourselves on the back for. The law is given that the mouth may be stopped. The proud speaking mouths, there's a lot of proud mouths out there speaking of all their um, southern, central Virginian quality of, of good. But when we compare ourselves to Scripture and to the law of God, it says that no longer will we have that ability to speak and, and be boastful. The work of the, law, of the law is definitely not to save us, but to show us our need to be saved. We, we see that right plain in the Scripture here. It's not by the deeds of the law that saves us, but the law is only to show us that we need a Savior. And here's, here's a very important truth. Before we will be willing to take up the cross of Christ, and you know what that means, before we'll be willing to take up the cross and follow Christ, we'll first need to be undone by his holiness and our lack and realize how far we fall short. Scripture says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Like somebody said, in, in thinking about how good a person is without Christ, you, you may have some really good people, but jumping across the Grand Canyon, it doesn't matter if you jumped almost all the way across, maybe five feet from the far side. You're just as dead as if you jumped the first five feet. So the scripture tells us that we all fall short and are in need of a bridge, are in need of a Savior. So the, this fellow, the rich young ruler, said, what else, Jesus? Something inside of him told him that he wasn't where he should be. 
back to Matthew chapter 19, verse 21. Jesus says, If you want to be perfect, go sell what you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Jesus just offered him the cure. Young man, if you finally realize that the law does not bring perfection, but it's only to point you to your need, if you've got that now, then do this. Give up your life, take the cross, and follow me, and I will be your righteousness. I will be your 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 Savior, and I will give you life. Jesus says, I can offer my perfection where, where you have obviously fallen short. And Jesus offers the same cure today. And back to Romans chapter 3. Continue reading there at verse 21 through 24. This is the cure. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. To all and on all who believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Being justified, that means made perfect made perfect freely by his grace through the adoption that is in Christ Jesus. Skip to 26. To demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Jesus is just, he's the judge, and he's also the justifier. That means not only is he the holy judge that has the authority to condemn us, but he is also the one that can make us perfect and make us holy. But it comes with some conditions. It comes with that we must have faith in him. We must, first of all, see our need of him, see that we fall short, and then put our faith in him. No longer do we try to keep a list of the law, but we are to be like Jesus. The law is like a distant reflection of the character of God but what we are given is so much higher than that. It's the, the example of Jesus Christ. His life lived. He showed us how to live, and he showed us the face of God. No longer is it okay for Christians to just not kill, but Christians are called to not be angry with their brother without a cause. There's a higher law, and it's the law of Christ. <clears throat> Back to the Hubble telescope left you hanging there. Um, a lot of thought 
and research went into what they could do to save the expensive experiment or the failed experiment. And the solution was contact lenses. $50 million worth of actually um, corrective mirrors that they sent up. It was um, the size of a phone booth or, or so, and it had a lot of mirrors that would extend to correct an image over to this camera and another one to correct the image over to this camera. So they did come up with a solution. The old mirror remained. It did not actually get fixed, but the image was corrected. The image was corrected. We too are like Hubble mirrors. We are flawed. And Jesus Christ is the correction Correctional mirrors. You know what else he is? He's also the mirror grinding lab and that null collector device. Only he's accurate. He doesn't make any mistakes. In Hebrews 12, too, he says that he is the author and finisher of our faith. It's not just... Um, telling us to go out and live a Christian life. He is working to do the work in us and finish the work that he has started. And the reason that we are to be perfected as a Hubble mirror is not so that we can feel all perfect. The reason that we need to be perfected is to, so that we can reflect a perfect image of Christ. And that is ultimately the goal, is that we can reflect, as humans, the image of Christ. In Romans 8, 29, it says very clearly that the purpose, our purpose of being a Christian is to become like Jesus, to be conformed into the image, conformed into the image of God and the likeness of Jesus. In Matthew 10:25, it says, it is enough that a disciple be like his teacher. So we are to become like Christ. We are to be, he is working daily to make us into his image. So here's a couple false gospels. The first one you will recognize is that it's all about my works and my righteousness plus Jesus is what's going to get me to heaven. That is a false gospel. Where I tried to jump the Grand Canyon, Jesus didn't put a dock out the other side for me to land on. There's a bridge here that goes all the way across and I'm over here and I'm going to try to get across on my own, or I'm going to totally be on Jesus' bridge. Um, so we understand that it's not my good works, or my good works plus Jesus, it's Jesus. The chasm is too great, we cannot save ourselves. The other false gospel is that Jesus is my righteousness, therefore 
I can play as I please, and everything's cool. I don't really need a change because Jesus is my righteousness. He's my corrective mirror, if you will. And to be honest, I think that is the false gospel that gets pretty close, closer to home than the two in our, in our um, generation. If we go astray, I'm afraid that second one may be where the one that would get me um, is that somehow, somehow it's done and I don't need to focus anymore or, or draw nearer to the Lord and, and I can get so distracted. Um, we as an American Christian culture, we know very well that it's not the law and it's not works that save us. And we say, we say, thank goodness, because we know that we're not being all that holy. Um, <coughs> sometimes I believe that we can have a little bit of a entitlement mentality as our generation. That, well, of course Jesus loved us, and of course he died for us, and we kind of almost take it for granted. But do we ever stop and consider the cost of what it cost our Lord? What it cost God to bring us back into favor with him? You know, we just celebrated Christmas a month or so ago, and we celebrated Jesus coming, the birth in the manger, and we exchanged some gifts, and we ate a lot of nice things. But do, do I, do we really consider what it costs the Lord to bring us into favor? Um, I can get fairly lazy about cross-bearing, the cross side of my salvation. Um, Jesus told the rich young ruler in the other account in Mark, he says, take up the cross and follow me. What does that really mean? What does that look like? Cheerfully doing what the Lord asks, even if it's uncomfortable. Isn't that what Jesus did? Jesus took up his cross as an example to his followers. You know, I don't see it written in Scripture, but I've gathered that Jesus' hobby, Jesus' favorite thing to do was to was to be pleasing to the Father. Just whatever that meant, just to be pleasing to the Father in absolute obedience. That's what brought him joy. Is that my hobby? Is that your hobby? <clears throat> Saying no to the flesh and yes to, to the will of the Lord, um, that's what bearing the cross is about, I believe. So why couldn't the rich young ruler said, when Jesus said, if you want to be perfect, go sell what you have, give to the poor, and come follow me, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. Why couldn't he said, Jesus, how about this? I'll hook my boat to the Hummer, and I'll put everything inside, and I'll follow you, and then I can have my obsession, and I can still 
follow you. Would that work with Jesus? He never brought it up. Maybe he didn't have a boat and armor, but I know he had possessions. He made the sad decision, and just it was too much to sacrifice. Too much to sacrifice. And we don't know the end of that story. He may have become a Christian later on. The Lord knows. We have a choice too. And it doesn't have to end sad. It does not have to have a sad ending. Um, You know, one thing I admire about the rich young ruler in this story, at least he understood the polarity of the situation. This way or this way. And he made the sad decision. But sometimes I think we try awfully hard to hold on to our things and our obsessions. I'm not saying possessions. It could be that, but I want to broaden it and say obsessions. We want to hold on to these things that really intrigue us and have salvation and have Jesus and eternal life and bring it along. And and Jesus says, give up your obsessions. Take your cross and follow me. That's really convicting to me. So, I, I, um, I ask, what obsessions or possessions do you or I need to rid ourselves in order that we may reflect Christ again? It doesn't have to be wealth. It could be anything or any area of our life that is not fully under the control of Christ. And in closing, a few takeaway points. Only perfection will get us into heaven. Only perfection. And the law's purpose is to show us that we are flawed and imperfect. Jesus is our substitute perfection immediately, now, when I believe in the Lord, he steps in and gives me righteousness. Righteousness I don't deserve before God. I'm righteous before him. But he does not stop there. The take up the cross part of our salvation is at work. He is grinding us from day to day. The daily grind takes on a new meaning here where he is actively shaping us from who we are into the perfect the perfect um, mirror that he wants us to be so that we can reflect Christ. And as a telescope mirror, we can only focus on one thing at a time. This is important. It goes back to obsessions. Um, We can focus on, if we try to focus on two or three or 25 things, it's going to be a really blurred image coming through. 
but a good telescope is going to focus really well on one thing, and our lives should be focused on Jesus Christ. So God bless you. Let's keep focusing on the Lord and remember that he is our perfection. And let's not be lazy about taking the cross. You know, if I was um, born in a um, oppressive-type religion where I believed that I had to be good enough in order to have any hope after death, and I struggled with that day after day, and, and then, if I then found Christ, the joy of knowing it's done for me, it's done. Um, I would want to, I believe I would want to, out of a great gratitude and a relief of burden, to just live for the Lord, just serve Him. And, and sometimes I think I take that for granted a little bit. So I'm, I'm wanting to grow. I want to take up the cross and do what he asks of me, and I'm challenging us all to do that this week. God bless you.